Well, good morning, church. It's good to be back. Welcome to Five Stones Church. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Go into a word of prayer here uh, before we start into our, our sermon here. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, um, for you are good. You are a good God that wants to speak to us, that wants to have a relationship with us. And Lord, that you are a God that wants to to continue this covenant relationship that you've started with us. So Father God, as we come before you today, as we look into Malachi, as we look into to just you calling out your people, Lord, may we come to a place of hearing your voice and hearing your call and responding in a way that we responded to you the first time we heard about you. So, Lord, we love you. We give all our praise and all our worship to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you've been following us, we have been uh, going through uh, the Old Testament prophets, the minor prophets specifically, which is the last 12 books of um, the Old Testament. And today we are doing the last sermon, and we are in the last book, which is in Malachi. The timeline of where Malachi fits in is during the reign of the Babylonian Empire. Um, the, Babylon, the Babylonians have already come in and they have already taken over Judah. So this is, this is during Nehemiah's time is what we're talking about. So if you were with us last summer, we went through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a man that was sent by God to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to Judah, to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. He was given... Um, it was during the reign of Cyrus, and this was a time when Cyrus is like, okay, you know what, we've conquered you for so long, we're going to let you go back and rebuild. And so Nehemiah, along with Ezra, reestablishes Jerusalem and rebuilds Jerusalem and reestablishes the sacrificial system um, that God has put in place for his people. So now a portion of Israel has now returned back into the city. About 50,000 exiles have now returned back to Judah from Babylon. And what we find here is the nation of Judah is reestablished. However, in just a very short period of time, the rituals and the religious routine become to just set in again. And this is similar to what was happening in Israel and Judah before they were overtaken, where it just became routine and all of these things that they do, they have forgotten the great love that God has given to them. And so in, in many sense, it's history repeating itself, but this time, not only have they departed from the law, they have gone even further that it's not just the people, but also the priests has departed. They have sunken back into a depth of sin that exceeded the former sins that brought on the Syrian and Babylonian de deportations. So when the Israelites first returned from, Israel, from, from Babylon, their, their hopes were that they would return, rebuild their lives, and the temple and, and all the great promises of the prophets would all come true. The Messiah would come and set up God's kingdom over a unified Israel and over all the nations and bring justice and peace for all. It's ironic how the things that we want most 
sometimes are spoiled by the things that we don't want but keep chasing after. Israel has had this amazing covenant with the Lord, yet when God restores them and puts them back into right place, it is also they themselves who break that same covenant. And this is a clear picture of how our human and self-centered, self-centered sin nature comes out. What is happening during the time of Malachi is as relevant to them as it is to us today. The gospel message in Malachi is a call back to the covenant that God has made with us. Malachi is sending a message to, to Israel. It is one of the last messages that Israel will hear for 400 years before we see another messenger, another prophet come into place. So let's get into the book here. So if we look at scripture and we look at the Bible, the entire book of the Bible is one unified story that tells us of the human condition and sin. While at the same time it is announcing that God's promise is to overcome all that is evil and to establish peace and healing and justice forever. It is that promise that prompts God to, God's people to denounce sin, remain faithful to his covenant promise, and hope for the future. See, the book of Malachi is split into two parts. The first part is actually only in chapter 1, which starts off this whole thing and lays a foundation. In verse 2 it says, I have loved you. For some of us, this is all we need to hear today. For some of us, this is the, me- the only message that we need to hear is that God loves you. God loves you by always pursuing you. God loves you because he is driven by love. That his love for his creation is the essence of God's character, and God's character is always rooted in love. So this lays the foundation, and God starts off by saying, I have always loved you. But how did the Israelites respond? They say, how? How have you loved us? You see, the thing with us as humans, we're fickle in some, some moments where we don't understand or we don't see that God loves us. We don't see that God loves us because we don't feel it. But that's, that's the essence of the covenant that God made with us, the essence and the foundations of what God sets his covenant with us is all based off of love. But his people are saying, How? So God affirms this covenant and reminds his people by, sh- by saying, I have shown my love to you through the generations by first choosing Jacob's family, which is the Israelites. I have chosen Jacob over Esau, and because of that, Edom has fallen and will never rise again. This is was established in the book of Obadiah when we studied Obadiah where Edom was destroyed and it will never rise again. That Israel was chosen over Edom and that Israel is chosen because he has loved them. These, we are, you are his chosen people. And God is saying, I love you. I chose you over Edom. So God, before he calls out Israel on what they have done, he first reminds them of the covenant that he has made with them, the promise that he has made with them. This promise is because he has chosen 
us in, and adopted us into a family and established this thousands of years ago. God will always love you, and this is foundation. This, this is the covenant relationship that we base everything off of. From here, God calls out Israel and what they have done wrong and the corruption that is happening in just, in just a short period of time. They were exiled. Seventy years, they were exiled. And from exile to, to Malachi coming to speak, it's only about a hundred years. So 70 years in exiles, they rebuilt the temple, rebuilt Jerusalem, and in about 30 years, they fall right back into the same place. Very short period of time. It's a time where Israel is like, we have reestablished ourselves as a nation, and then we forget what God has already done for us. So God calls them out on it. God says, you have despised me in verse 7. He's like, you do not honor me. So Israel goes again, how? You see, Malachi, the, the way it is written, it's, it's, a, it's a series of disputes. God calls them out on something. Israel always comes to a place of how? How have, we, how have we done this? Israel doesn't even see their own downfall or where, where they have broken the covenant relationship with God. Israel each time either says how or Huh, what happened? It's, it's so corrupt that they can't even see what they are doing wrong. In fact, it is so corrupt that it's not just the people, but even the priests are called up, who were called up to uphold the spiritual laws and the systems, even they are corrupt. The priest, if, if you know the, how, how God has set up the, the tribes, the priests are the Levites. Levite, they, they were given the responsibility to hold up the covenant of fear, to stand in awe of the Lord, to uphold the true instructions, to guard the knowledge and give instructions because they were the messengers of the Lord. But even they broke that covenant of peace with God. You see, in a relationship, in any relationship that we're in, we're either all in or all out. Let's take marriage, for example. In marriage... You come together and you make vows to each other. You make a vow to make, and it becomes this covenant of promise between you and your spouse. But if, let's say, when you get married, only one of you is giving your whole self in, and the other one is only giving what is left over back into that marriage. How, how does that relationship go? It's going to go in a way where someone at the end of the day always feels like they get the short end of the stakes. They get, they get the leftover parts. It is not the best that you have to give. And so this is exactly what God is saying. He's like, I am giving everything that I have to you, yet you only give me what is left over. And so therefore, you despise me and you defile me by only giving, in verse 7, offering polluted food upon my altar by not giving the best, but animals that have defects that are blind or lame or sick. Some of us actually know how this feels. We actually know the position that God is in. We know exactly how, how God feels in this because we've all been in relationships that are like this. Some of us have been in marriages where our spouse goes to work every single day. They come home. They're so tired that that the other party doesn't get the best of who they are. 
that some of, us, some of us may have been raised in families where we felt left out or we felt ne- ignored or neglected. We felt cast aside and, and, and our parents or our family members didn't have enough time to spend with us or didn't make the time for us. Some of us have been in friendships where we feel taken advantage of or used or only invited when the other good friend couldn't make it and so you were that spot filler. We've all felt what God is feeling in this moment of that covenant relationship where God is like, I'm giving everything into this relationship and you are only giving me what is left over. This is what God is saying to Israel. I pour out my love for you. Yet you love me with just leftover rituals, religious spirits. You're only doing it because you have to satisfy this religious spirit that is in you and to just give the minimum to satisfy that. God doesn't stop there. He says, not only have you despised me, he goes on and says, you've turned against me and you have defiled me. You have been faithless to your wives of your youth. You have gone and divorced your wives with no good reasons. This is a betrayal of the covenant that you have made, and you have gone and married and worshipped gods of other cultures. You have gone into idolatry. You have moved away. And then you justify your actions because it makes you feel good and in control. You've forgotten what the covenant that, that it was made. You've forgotten who has loved you first. We live in a church culture where we say we love God because we have experienced this love. Remember that, that, that time when you first meet God. The time when that salvation moment for you where, where you first get to experience God's love. Remember that time when you, you were in that place and God spoke to you and God says, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he pours into you and he says all that you are is, is forgiven and all that you have is, 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 is wiped out and I'm going to give you something new and you come into this beautiful relationship with God. Remember that time? Yet in our church culture that we live in today, we forget that first love experience, and then we start to live a life where it's okay to just know that God is there and that he loves me and that he is my daddy, but right now, I'm going to choose to live the way that I want to live. I'm going to go after my career. I'm going to go after that new girl or that new boy that has loved me in ways that nobody has ever loved me before. I'm going to deconstruct what the Bible teaches me because I'm not so sure I like what the church is teaching me. I don't feel like what the church has fits into my lifestyle. This is where the church has gone today and this is part of that church culture now that it's okay to deconstruct our, 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 our religion. It's okay to deconstruct our thoughts because you know what, what we know doesn't fit with what we have. You see, this is not how it works. This is not who God is. God is Lord. He is sovereign. So what does that mean? It means that he is king. And most of all, you need to, if you want to understand him, if you want to follow him, then guess what you have to do? You just follow. 
And when you follow, understanding will come. You don't need to make sense of of who God is because God already makes sense. You just need to come into that place of God loves me, therefore we have a covenant relationship with each other, and because of that covenant relationship we have with each other, I can fully put my trust in who he is and all that he has to offer me, and I don't need to figure out what living this Christian life means. I just need to abide in his word and be in his love. That's what being in a in, in a covenant relationship is. We don't need to deconstruct. We don't need to chase after other things. We don't need to feel love by others because God loves you. This is what God is saying to Israel, that it is in this covenant that I have made for you, I pour out my love for you, yet you love me with just your leftovers, your rituals, and your religious spirits. You're doing it to satisfy the minimum. Do you believe that everything that is written in this book is good and is written there because he loves you? Do you believe that? God is calling you out on your weirdly constructed theology and your selfish ambitions and calling you back into right relationship. He's doing this because why? Because he loves you. But do you hear it? Israel didn't hear it. Israel actually doesn't hear it. They go on to say, well, you neglected us. Where is justice when others came against us? You see, Israel doesn't even realize that when the Babylonians and the Syrians came to take over them, that that was a consequence of their broken covenant. And so they're looking back at that and saying, you neglected us. Where was justice when they came and took over? Does this sound familiar to us? Does this sound like, does, do we have these conversations with ourselves sometimes? Does this sound familiar? Do we have these conversations with God sometimes where I'm just not so sure that I could fully put my faith in God because God hasn't always been there for me or if God really does love me or why are all these things, these bad things happening to me or the promises that God has given me hasn't come. So does he really love me? Earlier this week, I had this moment with my son. A moment where it gave me a revelation of how we are with God. Jude and I, we go out for walks um, and as a family, we actually go out for walks almost every day. And part of going out for that walk, we, we, we get an opportunity, and there's this corner store that's, that's in our neighborhood, and we go in, and he usually gets a bag of candy and uh, uh, an ice cream. There is, it's usually like gummy bears and, and some dollar popsicle or something like that. And usually it, the total comes out to like $2.00. Um, and like most places, they're not taking cashes, cash anymore uh, unless they're small cash. And, they, and, and so in my wallet, I only had a $20 bill. I wasn't thinking ahead, so I, I was just like, oh, here's 20 The guy's like, no, I can't, I can't break this. I don't have enough change to break it. So um, I can't, I can't actu- you can't actually pay with it with a 20 So I'm like, okay, I have a card. And he was like, no, you actually have to buy a $5 minimum, and your total only comes to like $2.14. And so I was like, well, I don't need anything else. This is just a, a treat. We come h- here all the time. 
I'm like, it was the husband that was, that runs the corner store that was there. And, and uh, I was, I knew that if it was a wife that was doing it, she would have just like let it go because she loves Judah. She sees Judah all the time. And, and she's just like, you know what? It doesn't matter. But he was just being a little bit mean about it. And he, I said, you know what? Forget it. We don't need it today. Um, we have ice cream and candy at home. Judah could, we could go home and have the same thing. Um, and even actually what we had at home was even better than what was at the corner store because what I was offering him was like haagen like bars instead of this popsicle from like this fuzzy peach popsicle, which is not very good. It's very watered down, not very good. It was a treat. It's something that he likes. So I was like, no, forget it. We won't, we won't buy it. We'll just head home. And as I leave the store, Judah freaks out. Because he already went and he picked out his candy and picked out his popsicle, put it on the counter, ready to devour his treat for the day. And dad just takes him out and walks away. And he is now full-on tantruming as we are walking home. It's only a block away, but it feels like one of the longest blocks for both of us. He's kicking, he's screaming, Everybody in the neighborhood is looking at us. And he, I had to readjust at one point, so I put him down. He, he took off right back to the corner. So I had to chase him down, grab him, and, 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 and drag him home. And even as we dragged him home and we go up our elevator and we're walking down the hall, he is screaming so loud that our neighbors start opening their doors to look out to see what is happening. And I'm just, I look at them and I'm like, does anybody want a three-year-old? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. And they all close their door. And of course, nobody wants to take a three-year-old in during a, a coronavirus outbreak. And we get home. And he is sobbing his eyes out, crying so desperately to go back to that corner store because of what was presented before him. And it didn't matter what I said. I said, look, Dad has, we have ice cream at home. We have candy at home. And what I have for you is even better than what we had at the corner store. But he couldn't see that. All he saw was that I was taking away what was in front of him, the promise that was was left for him. And that was taken away, and he couldn't hear that what I have for him isn't different. It's actually better. But all he saw was me taking something away from him and not fulfilling a promise. And so he still continues to freak out at home. And he's sitting at the door, refuses to take his jacket off, refuses to take his shoes off, crying at the door, asking to go outside. And so we give him about 15 minutes. Finally, he calms down. His mom is able to, to kind of console him a little bit. And I bring out the popsicle and the candy. And he sees it and he comes. And he still not, doesn't really quite trust me. Hesitant to come towards me. But he sees the popsicle, he sees the candy, so he's like, okay, I, I do want that, even though it's not the corner store one. This is way better. I mean, at the supermarket, we're paying like $3 a popsicle for this. At that corner store, they would have charged you 6 And so... I present this to him. He looks at it, and I sit him on my lap, and I say, look, when Daddy promises you 
that I'm going to give you a treat. I will always fulfill that promise. And when daddy says no, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get it. It just means it's not right now. It is a delay and not a no. And oftentimes God does that with us, but we don't see it and we start throwing these tantrums in a place where we throw these tantrums that we cannot, that no matter what God is saying to us, we will not hear it. That no matter what God has for us, we will miss it. And that by the time that God has to offer to us, that we are in this space where we are not even able to receive the blessing that God has for us. You see, Israel is in that same place. They're complaining and groaning and moaning so much and that the covenant is not even there that they don't even see what God has for them. We live in a place and in a life where oftentimes we miss blessings because we are focused on something that we've missed out on and not focused on what God has to offer us in this moment. God is calling us Constantly, he's pouring out his love to us constantly and he wants us to be in this relationship where we trust him. So how does God respond to this? God responds to this by saying to them, I will send another messenger and he will prepare the way for me. That messenger is John the Baptist. It's how we go into the New Testament and John the Baptist announces the way for Jesus to come. And he says, then I will come like refiner's fire and I will bring purity back like gold and silver to the sons of Levi, the priest. Who are the priest? Well, by vocation, it sounds like it's Rich and I. By definition, it is our job. It's our job description. However, the priest is not just us as pastors, but his church. Because God says that we are a kingdom of priests. And in 1 Peter, he calls us a royal priesthood, that we are all sons of Levi. And so he says that a new messenger will come, which is John the Baptist. This is the, the next prophet after Malachi. 400 years of silence. Nothing is heard between Malachi and John the Baptist. John the Baptist announces the way for Jesus to come. And Jesus comes in. Through death on a cross, he restores righteousness again. When we feel like God is so far and God doesn't hear me, remember that God has a response for that. God's response is Jesus. Remember that God made the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be with him. Remember that because of the death on the cross that we could come to God freely to express ourselves to him. Remember that justice has been paid because Jesus died on the cross. Remember that you have no sin and therefore righteous because Jesus took your sin and paid the price for all of your past, present, and future sins. Remember that it is God who did all of this for you first so that you could live with him. So how do we respond in all of this? First, God assures us that he does not change. In chapter 3, verse 7, he says, I do not change. Return to me and I will return to you. How do we do that? God says that you have taken away from me through your tithes and contributions. God calls them out 
on a place where it is about our finances. Why our finances? Because our finances is a reflection of our heart. Our finances is how we hold on to our belongings and it reflects who we put our trust in. There's something that is called a tithe. The word literally means a tenth. Tithe, when we talk about tithing, tithing, that word in its own essence actually just means one-tenth. So if you have $100, $10 is one-tenth of that. Back in, in the Old Testament through the Levitical laws, and it, it, was a, it was a requirement of the law. But here, here's what that law was really here to establish. It was to establish a heart status. What tithing was meant to do was it was about worship. It was about an expression of worship unto the Lord. To give that tithe or that 10% isn't about a legalistic or religious system. What giving a tenth is, is knowing who your provider is and who you put your trust in. In Proverbs 3, 9, it says this. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Isn't that what this message is about? It's coming back into a place of honoring that covenant relationship with God. So, to tithe is to worship. When we're tithing, what we're essentially saying is, here is a small, here is a small portion of my blessing that you have given to me. You actually deserve far more than this because all that I have comes from you and I'm giving you my first fruit as a response of what you have given to me. That's what tithing is. God wants us to recognize that everything, all good things, every provision is a gift from him. That he wants you to put your first, the first in your life. So that's why in tithing, it's always the first fruit. That everything you receive, that the first that you give is in response to the to, to that love relationship that he, you have with him. Because if you recognize that everything you have, all that you are, everything that you own, all of your characteristics, everything that, that is about you is a gift from God, if you agree with this, then to give 10%, a tithe, is just a response to what we know of God prov God's provision us what we're saying when we give tithe is that we are saying that god was generous to me therefore i'm learning to be generous as well in my life and to the people around me some of us may look at our monthly income and expenses and say well we can't afford to tithe well i'm going to tell you something very simple here is that you can you can't afford to not tithe in Galatians 6, it says, reap. it says you reap what you sow. It says that if you sow to please your flesh, you will reap destruction. But if you, reap, if you sow to please the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. 
So in, in essence, it's saying that you, you sow, if you sow criticism, you're going to reap criticism. And if you sow generosity, it's going to come back to you in, in very generous ways. When you have a need or are in need, start giving. This may sound completely illogical, and that is why it requires faith, and it requires us to be in a place of worship when we tithe. God says, my ways are not your ways, but you can trust in my ways. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that God has created the universe and has made all things, and so therefore all things belong to him? Do you believe that God knows what your needs are and that he he is generous in all his ways and gives and provides you with everything you need do you believe that you have that you have put all your faith in him and trust him in all his ways do you trust that god will be the lord in your life and that you do not need to worry if you have answered yes to all of these questions god says put your tithe in and put me to the test And God says, I will keep my end of the covenant with you. The final part of Malachi is a call of his children back to the heart of the Father. That there are those who fear the Lord. And that those that fear the Lord will be his treasured possession. God God is calling us to restore our... He's calling us back to a restoration of of righteousness. God never wants to take something away from you without replacing it with something that is better. Everything you forsake for the love of Christ is always replaced with deeper joy. God God is calling you back to a covenant relationship. A relationship where God's character, His promise never changes, but inspires us to be faithful, and to give us hope. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you today in knowing that first you've loved us. And because out of this love and this promise that you have made with us through your son Jesus Christ by dying on the cross for us so that we could be righteous before you, Lord, that we come back to you and pour out our love to you. So, Father God, teach us what it means to be in a covenant relationship to you. Teach us and remind us of that first love that we have experienced with you. And, Father God, as we come back into that place, Lord, may we fully put our trust to live with you. So Lord, we thank you for your message today. We thank you for your words in Malachi, for your encouragement to the church of coming back into a right relationship with you. Lord, may we come back and consecrate ourselves back to who you are and consecrate that relationship of our first love with you once again. So Lord, we thank you. We want to pour out our worship to you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, church, for joining us today. Have a blessed week, and we will see you next week.